Welcome back to GovCast, a video interview series from Government Fleet Magazine, where we talk about trends, hot issues, and the state of the fleet industry. I'm Nicole Osinski, Executive Editor of Government Fleet. Today I'll be talking with David Rentschler, CPFP, Fleet Division Manager for the City of Fairfield, California. David, can you tell us about your fleet and its size and how you all are transitioning with infrastructure to um, EV charging? Uh, here at the city of Fairfield, we have approximately 700 units. We have everything from um, small equipment. Uh, we don't work on any uh, handheld equipment, so no chainsaws, things like that. However, uh, we do have some smaller 16-foot mowers, uh, sedans to the medium and heavy duty trucks, uh, dump trucks, uh, day cabs. We do have transit buses. So we have about, um, 40 transit buses here, local routes and paratransit. And we also have police and fire at a separate location. So we do have two locations as well. Can you tell us more about how you guys began the transition process uh, switching to EVs with your fleet and how that works with your infrastructure and what you had to change? Started several years ago uh, with transit. So I was working for about uh, eight years now with the California Air Resources Board in multiple different work groups and, and so forth uh, on the innovative clean transit regulation, which uh, is going to, which did, it's, it's a regulation, so it requires uh, transit buses to go electric or hydrogen uh, electric. So zero emission. Uh, we chose a battery electric. So we started the planning process uh, a few years ago, about three years ago, uh, which led us into having some experience when it came time for some of the other regulations that have come into effect here in California, requiring us to go zero emission on our light, medium, heavy duty, and soon to be off-road fleet as well. Can you tell us specifically about the infrastructural changes that you all have made to meet these needs? So in, we do have some pilot programs going on. Uh, so we have uh, um, electric, uh, battery electric, lithium ion, 5,000 pound capacity forklifts. Uh, so we, we did put in those uh, chargers and they're uh, proprietary, so they're not universal. You can't use them with anything else. Um, so we've got those at two different locations. Uh, then we, we got into uh, lightnings and e-transits. Uh, so we, we received our first lightnings, I think, in June of this year, uh, the beginning of June. And we put in uh, three level two uh, chargers with a total of six ports uh, here at Fleet. Then we put in uh, one more charger with uh, two ports at one of our water treatment plants. As part of that uh, pilot program, we have a 124 kilowatt uh, DC fast charger going in. Uh, they just poured the concrete pad yesterday at uh, our water treatment plant that will be able to be used on uh, both uh, medium heavy duty and our light duty vehicles as needed. Uh, then we have three battery electric buses uh, with 686 kilowatt hour uh, battery packs uh, that are on order here for uh, 
our facility for starting our transit buses. Uh, I'll be ordering five more um, in the first quarter here of uh, 23. Uh, those are uh, $1.2 million each. So pretty expensive stuff. Um, we did go ahead and uh, purchase EV fueling software. Uh, as that's going to be uh, an important revenue source. So here in California, we have low carbon fuel standard credits, uh, which is the amount of energy we put into batteries. We, we keep that data. Uh, we have a company we work with. We provide that data to them. They provide it to the California Resources Board. Uh, and then that turns into credits that are sold on the market. And that's a revenue stream for us, a very important revenue stream. Um, so we have that money coming in. Uh, then we need to look at uh, fuel sales. You know, most fleets sell liquid fuel or gaseous fuel to their customers. We're going to need to start selling electricity as a fuel. So that's a little more complicated than liquid fuel. And, and so I hope that, that fleets are going to start looking at that as they're going to need that as a revenue source. Um, and the infrastructure we're putting in our main corporation yard is all going to be on one meter. So we're going to be putting in about three megawatts of power that's all on one meter. And that will be charged to fleet, those electricity bills. And then we will be charging our customers based on the electricity put into each vehicle. So it, it is a, a kind of a, I call it an ecosystem. It's a, uh, because you, you need to do everything that you do with your traditional vehicles differently with electric. So it's almost like having two separate uh, fleets, if you will. And with everything that you guys are doing, what's been your top priority during this process? Uh, so it, it's very challenging. You know, there's a lot of work and a lot of research that goes into uh, you need to look at average daily use, uh, the duty cycles, mileage driven, how many hours are put on per day, whether that's PTO or whether that's driving, uh, because you need to in research all of that and then individual vehicles figure out what is out there that you can replace it with what the battery pack size on that is, what the efficiency is, and lots of research goes into that before you determine what your charging needs because infrastructure takes the longest. So uh, you might spend two years putting that data together, uh, researching all of that, and then making your determinations into how many charges you need because uh, an example of having a, a consultant take a look at what they think you need. They came up with 9.9 uh, .9 megawatts of power is what they thought we needed for our chargers here in the corporation yard. When I went through that same data and said, no, based on my research that I've done over the last two years, here's what we're really going to need. And we pared it down to 2.8 megawatts. And that's a really big difference. That's a lot of space for transformers that, uh, and, and charge bo uh, boxes that uh, you, you can get back. So, for example, we're still going to need 
90 feet by 60 feet in our in our main parking lot that we're going to take that's 10 45-foot bus parking spots that we're taking up with above-ground transformers and charge boxes and switch gear to, uh, to provide power to the chargers that are going to go for and dispensers uh, for the medium and heavy-duty vehicles here in the yard. That's a lot of space, and some yards don't have that space to give up. And then the other uh, thing that a lot of folks aren't thinking about is the, the actual parking space itself. Uh, in between every other parking space on the medium and heavy duty where you have pull through parking, especially if it's pulling a trailer, uh, you're going to, you're going to have the dispenser and, or the charger is going to be in between the parking spaces. So now you go from that six inch painted line on the ground to a three foot wide above ground, uh, raised concrete with bollards to protect that dispenser. And now you're losing even more parking spaces. So you lost parking spaces to the switch gear and the transformers. And now you're losing more parking spaces to the actual dispensers and you run out of room real quick. So we ended up having to actually move some buildings in our yard uh, to allow for traffic flow. Uh, so you have to look at the traffic flow in your yard after you make these changes we had multiple revisions with the engineers on, on how the traffic flow will work in the yard. And we had to move our bus wash to a different location. Uh, we also had to add four bays, which the design is being done now, on adding four oversized bays to our shop at the main here at the main facility because our battery electric buses, the battery packs are on, on the roof. Uh, they're 800 volts AC, which is a whole new NFPA, the National Fire Protection, and OSHA regulations regarding that high voltage and high amperage. So our bays have to have 10 feet from the battery pack to any metal. And our current bays in the current shop is uh, you lift a vehicle up, you've got uh, lines Go, metal lines going through for uh, all of our hose reels. You've got uh, I-beams going across the building. You've got all kinds of stuff in the way. There isn't enough room. So now we're having to build those new four bays. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, that also changes the traffic flow and requires us to take two buildings out. And they're going to have to be relocated somewhere else in the yard so that we can have traffic flow on the end of the shop. Uh, so that when you take all those things into a, into account, uh, the engineer came up with a rough order of magnitude of $60 million. So it's more than just the cost of the chargers and putting them in it. The thing with the, the parking chain caused us to change a whole bunch of things in our yard. So all of that stuff has to be looked at. Now, where's that money going to come from? The city doesn't. We don't have an extra $60 million lying around. Fleet definitely doesn't. Uh, we were able to, we did get approved for a $12 million grant from the FTA because of our transit buses. However, we're still $48 million shy. So that's going to be a very big challenge. Uh, we are going into the design phase. 
and we're hoping for that construction to be done in 2026. However, we don't have money to pay for it yet. So we're hoping to, uh, to work through that. And then here in California, we're required to, to start purchasing medium and heavy duty vehicles in 2024. So once we start buying those vehicles, how are we going to charge them? So now we need to come up with temporary charging. So we're looking at solutions for that as well right now until the main infrastructure can be installed, assuming we find the money. What advice would you give to other fleets who are just getting started in this process? Seek out good partners. Uh, your consultants are going to be, you know, your partner through the whole process. Find uh, good consultants to help you out because you're not going to have time to do all this yourself. Uh, but stay involved as much as you can. Um, the example I gave about one of the consultants telling us that we needed 9.9 .9 megawatts of power, unrealistic in my eyes. And so uh, with fleet's intervention in that, we were able to uh, know the vehicles, know their usages, take a look at the data and able to pare that down to save some, some money <laughs> and some time putting infrastructure in. Because uh, that's a lot of power. Sure. Well, and looking back with everything you guys have done, is there anything that you would do differently? I would have started earlier. Um, however, uh, starting early, working with your utility as soon as possible. Uh, you know, one of the other things is when you talk to the utility, once you have all this data, and you know how much power you're going to need. You go talk to your utility. Um, some fleets that I've uh, helped out, they actually found the utility can't even get them the power they need. So they had to sell their property and go buy property somewhere else in an industrial area. Uh, so when you talk to your utility and, and you tell them you need six or seven megawatts of power or whatever you need right in, in your yard, they may not, the circuits may not be able to provide enough power. And it, if they can, if they do need to be upgraded and they can provide the power, you're looking at a minimum of three to four years for the utility to do that. So that could really cause you a problem when you're trying to start buying vehicles in 24 and have a way to charge them. Gotcha. Well, that's a lot happening. Uh, that's a lot for fleets to deal with. And with everything being said, what would you say are some key takeaways that fleets should know when switching or adding EV infrastructure? Uh, light duty is pretty easy. It's fairly easy to do. When you get into medium and heavy duty and off-road, uh, that's where things start getting complicated. You're going to need uh, a lot of research. Find, don't just take the first uh, consultant that, that you interview, and, and uh, that's, that can be a problem. So look around. There are several uh, good consultants out there uh, that are nationwide that, that help folks out. Uh, figure out your funding. That's going to be uh, that's going to be a big part of it, 
and then uh, budgeting. So budgeting in your VRFs, your vehicle replacement funds, uh, you're going to look at pretty much doubling your price uh, on, on most things. Uh, example, our buses that we have on order right now, the battery electric buses, 1.2 million. They're about 650,000 as a diesel. So um, we bought a 25 horsepower agricultural tractor with a loader uh, for, I think it was around 36,000 and change. We did get a grant that helped us with 17,000. So it was about 18,000 out of pocket. A diesel version would have been 16. So it was just a little bit more expensive. However, without the grant, it would have been over double. Take a look at Lightnings, uh, the Ford Lightning pickups. Uh, those are significantly more. They're about double what a V6 gas version of an F-150 would be. Uh, and then when you get into the, the medium and heavy duty, those vehicles, there aren't that many out there that meet uh, government needs. They're more for delivery trucks or over-the-road uh, drayage class 8s. So when you do find someone to work with for a zero-emission vocational vehicle, the costs are going to be at least double because it's something new that isn't out there on the market yet. David, thank you so much for spending some time to talk with us. We really appreciate it. And for all of our viewers and listeners, thank you for joining us as well. Stay tuned for another GovCast series next time. Thank <laughs> you.